My final thought, which it's sad that it's going to end up at the end of the podcast, is watch the film before you listen to this podcast. <laughs> well, now I'm going to put that at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Welcome back to GC8. I'm Eric. I'm Rosie. And I'm Johanna. We're taking a kind of a detour from what we normally do. We are going highbrow Euro trash. <laughs> we are looking at what I call low country thrillers or Benelux neo-noir. These are erotic thrillers from Belgium, Netherlands, and Luxembourg, heavily influenced by American film noir. These films are hard to find, but uh, we managed to find them. Before we get to that, what have you been up to, Johanna? I got a new job. I'm going to be leaving my job at Eventive. Loved working there, but had an opportunity come up to work for Disney in their metadata data analysis department. So starting a new job where I get to watch all of these long forgotten movies and TV shows from the Disney and Fox catalog and even a bunch of stuff in Europe that technically belongs to Disney over there. And I get to break down the stories into its most basic elements and tag it with data that allows the algorithms to tell you what you might also like in Disney+. Plus. Oh, so you got a job doing what we do for free every week. <laughs> Basically, breaking down movies and seeing what... Okay, all right, all right, I see how it is. Congratulations, Johanna, that's amazing. I'm so happy for you. Uh, I watched Finding Dory. I didn't realize how cute that was, so <laughs> there's that. I, I Unfortunately, I had to spend some time at Children's Hospital this week, so I've had my own special dose of Disney movies, and I never, I never actually saw... Uh, is it, I guess it's called Finding Dory. Yeah, it is called Finding Dory. Okay, because I was like, well, there's Finding Nemo. Is this supposed to be called Finding Dory? So, okay. It's the sequel. It was Dory the one that was the fish that forgot everything every couple seconds. Yeah, voiced by yeah, Ellen yeah. DeGeneres. Ellen DeGeneres' fish, yeah. Yes. Yeah. P32 Wallaby Way, <laughs> Sydney. <laughs> Spoilers. Yeah, we, yeah, I know, right? I know. We love Finding Nemo, uh, raising my kids growing up, and, and um, it just happened to be on this weekend. So I was watching that, and that was really the only movie I got to catch at all this week besides the ones that were assigned, which was quite an interesting experience, let me tell you. A full range. Um, <laughs> I know, right? I had to find a different website um to uh watch uh one of the movies that i was assigned for the show which we'll go into on a different episode but um, sorry either way can i just pause for a second i had this brilliant little daydream that just popped into my head <laughs> of what would have happened if paul verhoven had directed finding nemo ah! <laughs> 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 yes <laughs> <laughs> I have been extraordinarily busy this week and haven't had time to watch anything aside from the films we're going to be talking about today. But what I have been doing is listening to podcasts. And the latest podcast that I am hooked on in my car is called Slow Burn, the behind-the-scenes story about the investigation into Watergate. 
And if you think you know everything about Watergate, you do not. (laughs) Slow Burn has so many things in it that I never knew about. Looking at figures that aren't just the major ones that you hear about all the time when it comes to the Watergate break-in and all of that. It's fascinating. Definitely worth checking out. Did you guys see the latest American Horror Story? No. Negative. You should because it touches on that. It's a double feature. One is vampires, one is aliens. Watch the aliens one and you'll see what I'm talking about. They touch on all of the conspiracy theory stuff in that era. I don't know if you're a fan or not. I am a fan, even though some of their stories are good. Some of them are, but some of them are just fantastic. And and, uh, that's one of my more favorite series of American Horror Story. Just because it touches on on the history aspect in, you know, the 50s and the 60s with Ike and all that. I have to confess, I've only ever watched season one. So they've got to be on season like 15 by now or something. Um, yeah, or 10. I don't, I don't remember, but yeah. I was joking. (laughs) 15, 10, whatever. You know. (laughs) Okay. You guys ready to dive into this? Loft, originally made by Eric Van Looy in... Belgian in 2008, and then a director named Antoinette Bomer remade it in 2010 in Dutch, and then the original director, Eric Van Looy, remade it again in 2012, 13, 14. It finally got festival release in 14 and theatrical release in 2015 in the U.S. with some stars that you may recognize, like James Marsden and Carl Urban. But... I warned everybody about this, and then I made the mistake myself, which is I watched the Dutch remake, and then I didn't have time to go back and watch the Belgian version, but I've seen shot-by-shot comparisons, and it is the exact same movie, so I may know the characters by different names, but that is my intro. Johanna, take it away. So full confession, even after your warning, I did the exact same thing. I went to try to watch the film on Roku. I looked it up verified I was looking at the 2008 version, and then after watching the film, looked at that shot-by-shot comparison, because I was curious about whether there were differences with the remakes, and realized that I had also watched the Dutch version. I was, curses! But, um... Oh my gosh, I think I'm the only one who watched the Belgian version. (laughs) Awesome. Yes. I don't think there's a lot of difference, but we will see because the Belgian version seems to be rated much higher by audiences and critics than the Dutch version. So I'm curious why that is. Some background on the production. The idea for the film came when writer Kun de Boy, and I am not pronouncing that name correctly, but when the writer was at a dinner party with six other couples and he was looking around wondering what would happen if all of the men here at the table shared a secret which their wives knew nothing about? So that started as the basic premise. And then what that secret was is something that the writer toyed with for a while until ending up with this plot that centers around a loft apartment. Interestingly, there is a lot that this story has in common with the Billy Wilder film, The Apartment. And I hope we talk about that down the line. Director Van Looy was excited to work on the project. Although he says, every movie I make shortens my life by a year. I don't like being on set. There are 50 people who only listen to you. 
Van Loy as a director is apparently super low key, not used to bossing people around, gives his directions by whisper, and it's more of a, you know, a mild suggestion than a direction, as it were. One thing peculiar about Van Loy, though, is he really likes shooting at night. He likes the look of it, and he doesn't alter the lighting for the night shots. But it was really wearing on the cast. <laughs> they were, you know, falling asleep between takes, and it really took a lot out of them. But it also allowed the cast to really kind of bond together. And so that sort of, like, close friendship that seems like it's forged by people going through something together is in part because the film process was really, really exhausting. Loft was the most attended movie in Belgian cinematic history. About a million, 200,000 people had watched it as of 2009. And one last note about the film, and we'll get to this later, but um, there's a Latin phrase that shows up, Fatum nos jungebit, which is not good Latin, and I think in at least two of the versions they point out that it's not good Latin, but it translates to fate will bind us, which um, just thinking about that in terms of sort of the, the mood of the film. My girlfriend teaches Latin, and she walked in the room right when that was on the screen, this <laughs> phrase, and there was a joke that she made for anyone who's seen the film uh, Life of Brian, where <laughs> in that briefly, Brian, who is this Christ-like suspected figure, whatever, anyway, he's he, he gets involved with the Judean people's front, you know, who are anti-Romans, <laughs> and, and he has to graffiti the words, Romans go home, on the wall of... <laughs> the city and a centurion catches him and punishes him because it's bad latin it's written in red paint so when she walks in the room this phrase happens to be written in blood in this film kind of like red paint and she's like romans go home i was like no it says fate will link us and she's like no it doesn't <laughs> 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 nice, nice. And this is before they told us in the film that it was bad Latin, because we don't find that out until like the next scene. Yes. Or when yeah. someone's being questioned yeah. about that phrase. As a Latin nerd myself, this was something that I was very excited about of just like, oh man, they went all nerd on this. Like there's Latin and then they point out that it's bad Latin and I was so excited. But um, I did want to talk a little bit about the film noir genre as a whole because I'm interested in hearing whether the two of you think this belongs in the noir genre or not. So I did some research into critics' opinions about what's the difference between a film noir and a crime film, because this, you know, is, is sort of like a crime film, but there are some noir flavors. So I found a great article written by Richard Brody in 2014 in The New Yorker, where he traces different critical views of noir and what makes a noir film. And one of the critics he quotes is Emmy Holmes, who is writing about Nino Frank, who is the film critic who originally coined the term film noir. And Holmes says, thus these noir films no longer have anything in common with the usual kind of police reel. They are essentially psychological narratives with the action, however violent or fast-paced, less significant than faces, gestures, words, than the truth of the characters, this 
third dimension that he discusses to the films. I thought that was really interesting thinking about this film because while the woman <laughs> dead in the bed with the blood and the handcuffs is really graphic and that there are moments of violence throughout the film that are really striking, what really drives the film is this relationship between the five friends and the mistrust and the power dynamics between them and that that is really the focus of the film which suggests that this does belong in the in the noir genre another thing that brody comments on is that unlike a western or a war movie where there are very specific kinds of tropes like if there are horses and there's a saloon it's a western like no getting around it with film noir, it's not exactly that it's a style, although, you know, it definitely calls back to German expressionism, and it's not exactly that it's a genre, although, you know, there's often a femme fatale character, there's often, you know, some kind of betrayal or, or things like that, that what film noir really plays on is anxieties from the post-depression through post-World War II era just this sense that the world was getting out of control and a lot of paranoia about um, powers that be, but also a social commentary that went along with that time period. It's a, a left-leaning social commentary. And unlike regular crime, drama, you know, shoot 'em up mob kinds of movies, film noir goes out of its way to point out corruption and injustice, and that that is part of this genre as well, and that it uses violence and intrigue as an entertaining hook to get viewers to think about these social issues. In the case of Loft, I'd say misogyny is a pretty big, big theme that you spend a lot of time thinking about, and it's put in this entertaining box. Very big. <laughs> Very big. Very big issue, right, Rosie? <laughs> Anything interesting about Belgium in 2008? They did go through some corruption. It was during a global financial crisis. They had a bank bailout of their own, which eventually led to their prime minister resigning and a new prime minister taking over in 2009. We did have the Summer Olympics that year. And Belgium did take home two gold, one in the women's high jump and the four by 100 meter relay for in women's. That was the year the Russian gold medals were stripped because of a doping rules violation by Yulia, bear with me, Termoshnikaya. That's the best I can do on pronouncing Yulia's name. And if I did it wrong, I'm sorry. And then also Jan Boyan brought home a bronze in the Paralympics in 2008. <laughs> Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Normally I say that I pair movies and food like I would pair wine and cheese. But this time I am literally recommending cheese. <laughs> this is no commentary on the characters. But I think cheese is the perfect pairing for this because I have the feeling that these are the kind of guys that go to parties 
where they eat cheese off toothpicks. That seems like exactly what would pair with this. So I recommend you get yourself a plate and have some crackers on hand because a lot of Belgian cheeses are actually soft cow cheeses. There is a wide variety of Belgian cheeses to choose from. Go to your local cheese dealer, whatever that <laughs> that's called, and, and have them recommend stuff. But one kind of cheese you must have is what we just call Brussels cheese in this country. And in Belgium is known as fromage de Bruxelles. So Brussels cheese. <laughs> it is this cow cheese that they make it and then they wash it, rinse it, dry it, rinse it, dry it over and over again. Like sometimes for years before it's ready to be eaten. And that is my concession to pseudo highbrow uh, wine and cheese here. You know, you could have have a little wine if you wanted to, but definitely have some cheese on hand for this film. To get ourselves a treat. The film opens with a body. Someone has either been killed or committed suicide. It's not immediately apparent from the first frames. Falling from a high building onto the roof of a car. And it looks like this may be murder. We cut to, in the various versions of this, looks like your typical Law & Order episode where they're questioning the suspect in the featureless room <laughs> and various suspects, all men, about this. And you come to realize that they're not actually being questioned about that body. They're being questioned about a different murder that happened inside this Belgian loft. One of the things I loved about this film was the nonlinear narrative. You couldn't quite piece together what things were happening in which order or how soon this timeline occurred and that it constantly jumped back and forth. So you felt like you were kind of living in the middle of this friendship between these guys without necessarily seeing exactly how it was falling apart in, in different areas. And I guess I'm now in that phase where I love being confused watching a film. It was very confusing. As a matter of fact, just to contrast with this, the next film we're going to talk about in the next episode is a film that was made in the 80s, another neo-noir, and I could only find a copy of it that was in Dutch with Portuguese subtitles, and then I had the Dutch closed captioning turned on with Google's auto translation to English. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and and the main character speaks in a very literate, poetic way in Dutch. And so the translation loses something on each of those jumps. I found that movie easier to follow than this one. <laughs> <laughs> you do not know where it's going for the first half hour or something. It's It's... You know that a crime is committed, but it's pretty complicated. Yeah, it takes a while to kind of piece everything together. Definitely. We had mentioned that it was similar to The Apartment by Billy Wilder. And The Apartment is a comedy with Jack Lemmon and Shirley MacLaine. And it has this premise that a bunch of guys share an apartment that they take their mistresses to, to keep a secret from their wives. That basic premise is what we find out is going on here. And that it's this apartment in which the murder has taken place. 
immediately this crime scene becomes contaminated by all how many of them were there five all five of them (laughs) (laughs) like like, it's so they're like don't touch the body touches the body you're like stop (laughs) (laughs) they throw stuff around they break stuff like it's it's one of those things where it's like after decades of law and order and csi especially you watch this and like every time they touch something you cringe (laughs) yeah (laughs) it got to the point where i was no longer even listening to them i was like no don't touch that don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like you're messing with the crime scene. Okay, so we learn a little bit about these different characters, which I don't know what their Belgian names were. But I have them. Do you have them? Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> I do. I do. I have them. Chris is the doctor. Philip, his brother, is kind of the troubled playboy. You have Vincent, who basically gave the keys to all the guys in the in the crew. Okay. You have Luke, who is the nice guy, whose wife is diabetic. Okay. Uh, his wife is Miriam. Okay. Um, you have Marmix, who is like half the guys I went to high school with, you know, this kind of sexist and low-key racist jerk. <laughs> Marmix? Yeah, that's Marmix. M-A-R-M-I-X is okay. what's his name. Um, and, uh, and, and he was a real jerk to his wife, too. Um, but yeah, he, he, he was like, he's kind of like the jockey type, you know? Um, I'm trying to try, I'm slowly, I'm trying to connect these with, uh, Matthias and, and Willem and and the characters in the 2010 one. Right. Right. And I mentioned that Elsie Luke's wife is diabetic for a reason, because that comes up later in the film. It took a long time for that movie to come together, but it also took a long time to piece together who done it. That's one thing I really liked about the film, because as soon as I thought I knew who did it, I ended up being wrong. (laughs) It's twisty. Very twisty. Very entertaining. I really, really liked this movie a lot. Really liked it a lot. And without giving away any spoilers, I like the neck-breaking turns of it. There are a lot of times when you're watching a thriller and you are slowly developing an idea of what happens and then you feel this like shift this slow shift to no it's not that person it's someone else and in this film it was like bam 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 like revelations like all happening within 10 minutes and i loved that that different pacing just like felt felt like i had serious plot whiplash but for whatever reason it really worked in this film it really did, especially work for my ADD ass. <laughs> I was able to keep up with it. It was awesome. So, spoiler alert. Okay, the victim. We later find out her name is Sarah. They did a lot of things to her body and <laughs> uh, in the end. And almost all of, all of them were involved, except for the, the guy who handed out the keys. They basically tried to frame him for this. So, spoiler alert. That came into play because they were trying to piece together, like, which one of us actually killed her. What happened was Vincent broke up with her. He was like, I can't do this anymore. He leaves to go to the store and comes back to find her murdered. And what we later find out is what actually happened is she committed suicide by ODing on pills. Luke had come in after Vincent had left he injected her with extra insulin because he was trying to kill her. <laughs> he had insulin because 
his wife was a diabetic and they had scenes in the film. I don't know if they did in the version you saw, but they had scenes in the film where he was giving her an insulin shot in the bathroom during a dinner party. Yeah. Yeah. A couple of times he had to give her injections and they also talked about it. So you knew it was going to become a major plot point. Mm -hmm. Right. Just to add another twist to all this, one of the guys was videotaping everybody's encounters in the apartment. That was Vincent. He set up cameras in the apartment and Luke found them. And Luke used those videos to frame Vincent and also to show all the other guys like Vincent was sleeping with your all's wives and your girlfriends. Okay. He's a whore. (laughs) (laughs) He's sleeping with everybody. (laughs) So now that we've revealed the ending more or less, let's jump into, is this noir? And when I say noir, I'm talking about neo-noir. My definition, anyway, everybody probably has their own definition, but noir, of course, is French for black. And so darkness, night, do a majority of the scenes take place in darkness or at night? And in this film, they do. So that's one major aspect of noir for me, particularly the play of light and shadow. And this film definitely has that. Crime, deception, huge thing. And this has deception upon deception. So this is, and I think it follows not traditional noir, film noir, but this neo-noir genre that started to emerge in the 1980s and 90s. I immediately think of Body Heat, Stormy Monday, the first Coen Brothers film, Blood Simple, in that time. And another one, which we will talk about later, Fatal Attraction. There were a bunch of films that fit this sort of neo-noir crime genre that came. In fact, some original noirs like The Postman Only Rings Twice was remade. These 80s and 90s films, what they changed, I think, was one, they were in color. And two, they took the metaphor of sex and just made it more explicit on the screen. That's something about these particular films. There's usually either a detective or someone trying to investigate. In this particular film, the detective is downplayed. It's the cops in general. But I think it has a lot of the elements that I associate with this neo-noir genre. Chinatown by Polanski was, you know, in the 70s was the film that really brought it back. But it was slow to catch on. Yeah, I'm going to note just a couple other things that I think of as being necessary for noir that shows up here. One is the urban setting, that a key part of what makes a noir film is that urban setting, the sort of the feeling like there are these dark corners that people can slip into. There's a level of anonymity and being able to get away with crime that a lot of that relies on being in a densely populated urban area. And this loft apartment, despite being kind of in the middle of everything, becomes that little hideaway area. The other thing is the MacGuffin-ness of the loft. And just thinking about films like Maltese Falcon, a lot of noirs have some kind of trigger that sets the action going, like the way the loft does. Yeah. And then the third one is the presence of women who have questionable virtue. (laughs) I'm not sure whether this translation is right, but I have a note. The prostitute character who, you know, is being paid off by one guy, but another guy falls in love with. She has this classic femme fatale, like, you don't want to fall in love with me. You don't know me kind of thing. And I'm I'm just (laughs) like, oh, this classic, classic femme fatale. (laughs) 
Yep. 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 Then that was Anne. Yes. Or Anna. She was called both. Billy Wilder, who we mentioned, did The Apartment. I've always considered The Apartment to be a comedy noir. A black comedy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Very and dark. It, uh... <laughs> Well, Billy Wilder himself was known for directing some of the big original noir films like Sunset Boulevard and Double Indemnity, Ace in the Hole and those. So he was one of the big film noir directors. So that, of course, spilled over, even though he may not have intentionally wanted it to be that way. But The Apartment, to me, feels like a comedy film noir. And this this is like the straight version of that. Exactly. I mean, there are so many parallels, like from the fact that it's all these guys who are really not great to women and the women don't know how the guys are using them and that they're all in on it. That parallel with the apartment, but then also the uh, attempted suicide in the apartment that shows up here as at first, like, a succeeded suicide and then a staged suicide and then, oh, no, actually, it was a real murder. <laughs> and um, that you you get even that parallel between the films. Yeah, it makes it hard for me to believe that he came up with this idea at a party. I want to say they watched The Apartment. They're like, let's do that, except instead of a comedy, let's make it a serious <laughs> drama thriller. Well, or yeah. a film that instead of making fun of the men for being horrible monsters, instead critiques them for it. It's like, no, actually, let's look at this and see what horrible people these guys are who are treating women this way. So instead of playing it for laughs, they play it for thrills. They rewind back to a couple of weeks before Sarah was found dead in the loft to a time when Philip brought up a prostitute and he was all coked up and he violently raped her. And Chris and Vincent, I believe it was, worked to fix this mess and basically like paid her off so that she didn't report him to the police. And during that scene, Chris beats the crap out of Philip and is like, look, you don't do this to women. You don't treat women this way. And he was like, well, she's just a prostitute. And he was like, it doesn't matter what she is. You don't treat women this way. I really appreciated that scene. And also, Marmix was put in place for some of his misogynistic behavior in the film, too. I like that they didn't shelve that, you know, that they brought attention to that issue. But interestingly... One of the things I think the film does really well is that it also critiques the guy who's supposedly the nice guy. Right. And shows that even the guy who's the quote-unquote nice guy is also a horrible monster. And, I mean, I think that that's something now, 13 years later, is actually a pretty common trope that the nice guy turns out to be awful. But for a film in 2008, it's a pretty sharp version of that critique before it became common. Yeah, let's talk about how Luke is a low-key stalker and you couldn't tell who he was in love with between Vincent and Sarah the whole movie. <laughs> he was the super narcissist? Yeah. Yeah, Vincent was, right? Yeah, Vincent was the one who had the apartment. Yeah. Luke was the nice guy whose wife was a diabetic, which we later find out was in love with Sarah, and he tried to kill her. Right. Because if he can't have her, nobody can have her. <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah. Even talking about this film, it's like, it's 
hard to keep it straight. Right. And it's not helped by the fact that it, you know, is in a different language and we watch different versions of the film. <laughs> right. I'm trying to like translate the character names in, in my head, but. It's crazy. Yeah. That whole thing was crazy. But to me, it was like, oh, Vincent totally did this. To maybe Anna did this. To maybe Chris's wife did this. To maybe all the wives did this. <laughs> 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 maybe it was Philip. <laughs> I mean, I, I second guessed, I think, uh, pretty much everybody. Everybody but Marmix. I didn't suspect him of doing it. What was the name of the diabetic wife? Elsie. So I was convinced it was going to be Elsie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I thought for sure she was going to be behind this. All I can say is watch this film. We've given spoilers, but it's so twisty that you're going to still enjoy the ride, even with what we've said. I'm not even sure that they could have followed our conversation. I don't think anybody knows what I know. happened. I know. And you're probably completely confused by now. This has been one okay. of our more scattered. And it's just because that's it's that kind of film. Yeah. This is my first dip into the lowland noir genre. And unlike Nordic noir, which focuses on the police side, or American noir, which focuses on criminals and being on the run, the sensuality is a big feature of these lowland noirs. And this film is super steamy. I disagree with your cheese pairing, Eric. I think this is uh, like sitting there with a whole bottle of wine by yourself kind of movie. Uh, by yourself, eh? Yes. Okay. <laughs> if I wouldn't have had to take notes during this film, I would have been drinking some wine with it. I'll tell you that right now. But I had to pause this film several times while I was watching it just to be like, okay, what was that? What did he say? Because it's subtitled, so I couldn't, you know, just sit there and listen to it. I had to read, too. <laughs> Oh my God, so much effort. <laughs> I thought about doing wine and cheese, but I didn't want to get into the wine business because I'm not one of these snooty wine connoisseurs. I don't know wine. And then I felt like if it's like a European film and I'm recommending wine, then we got to get into vintages. And I'm just, uh, I couldn't tell you a Belgian wine from a Vietnamese wine. Hey, for me, it was it was not a, a question about, you know, being a sommelier for the film. It was more whatever booze you can drink for two hours in a full quantity. Like, I don't know, maybe you can do martinis back to back. I can't. For me, the, if, if I want to sit and enjoy and be completely hedonistic for two hours, wine is my best chance of, of staying awake, but also buzzed. And they drink a yeah. lot in this film. They do. <laughs> I think that if you're going to drink a wine during this film, it would have to be Pinot Noir. Okay, thank um, you. There. Thank yeah. you. Brilliant, Rosie. Okay. You're welcome. All these years of restaurant work are finally paying off. <laughs> if you have seen the 2014 U.S. version by the same director with Carl Urban and James Marsden, write to us at GC8 Podcast. That's letter G, letter C, number eight, podcast, all one word, at gmail.com. Let us know what you thought of the American version, because we didn't watch that one. We watched the other two between the three of us. <laughs> Until next time, this is Eric. This is Rosie. This is Johanna. Signing off. Uh.
a matrix themed striptease to a brass cover of Sweet Dreams. 